child. And she dedicated that child to the Lord. So we do what's called baby dedications. But when you're dedicating the baby, the Hannah also was dedicated to the Lord. Oh, that's all right. Oh, you just want to be down on the platform, right? Good for you. Maybe that's your future calling. So we want to ask this question as parents. We promise to care and raise these children in a God-honoring way, that when they're old enough, they might commit their lives to Jesus and become a follower to him. And we do this, we do this by praying for children, teaching them about Jesus, teaching them God's principles from the word of God, by faithfully attending church with children, and by modeling Christ at, at work, at home, in our marriage, and in our lives. So, as parents, we're going to ask you, and you're going to say we do as a family. You see, there's a whole family here. And this whole family is involved with this. So, we're going to ask you each one of these. Will, will you pray for these children daily? Will you teach them about Jesus and God's eternal principles from the Word of God? Will you faithfully bring them to places where they can come to church and learn the Word of God? All right. Will you model Christ-like behavior at home, at work, in marriage as parents? All right. And so then, but it takes a whole church. And so we're going to ask you to say we do. As a church, we promise to support, encourage, and care for these children in this family by doing what? Will you pray for them faithfully? Will you be their spiritual family in Connecticut? Will you model our collective lives, what it means to be a Christian? Will you walk beside this family as these children grow in this spiritual knowledge and understanding? <laughs> so we dedicate these children in the name of Jesus. And everyone says, Amen. Amen. Usually, usually I would take the child, like the picture of they give the child, and then they get the child back. But we did that, right? All right. All right. Blessings. Okay, we are continuing through the Gospel of Mark in chapter 13. So let's turn there. And I am going to ask that somebody would read it and maybe read really loud. We're going to, we're going to just recover a little bit of what Keith did last week, and then, um, and then we're going to move on from it. Because he didn't touch every area in there. We just want to touch a few of those. There's so much here we could camp out forever. So um, how about if somebody stands up and reads verses 1 through 8, which we already read, but we're going to read them again. And do it really, really loud.
You know what? Come up here. We're going to give you a microphone. Here you go. You ready for this? This is your debut. There are scouts out in the audience looking for readers. Good morning. All right, chapter 13, verses 1 through 8. As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings, replied Jesus? Not one stone here will be left another on another. Everyone will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things happen, and what will be the sign that they are all about to be fulfilled? Jesus said to them, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, claiming I am he, and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are all the beginning of birth pains. Good, thank you very much. So when last week about temples, it really spoke to me. In fact, there was one part that really, really spoke to me. And I've been thinking about it all week and just kind of getting some more mileage and some more traction out of it. And he said that one of the things about that temple and, and why we were disturbed about the idea of the temple coming down is that it was a symbol of their national identity. And he said it would kind of be like what would happen if Washington, D.C. was demolished this afternoon and all our leaders scattered. What would, um, what would happen to us? What would, it, what would it be like? What would it do to our identity? So I thought about that all week long, and I thought, you know, if, if my national identity disappeared in a day, then I'd be left with my citizenship. I'd be a citizen of heaven. And, and really, I'm a citizen of heaven anyway. This mic is going in and out all over the place. I'm a, should I use this? All right. Sorry. First week out, and uh, how are you going to grade us, A through F? Are we doing all right? We're doing all right? All right. All right. So the, the Apostle Paul actually talks about this. The Apostle Paul says that our citizenship is in heaven. We are citizens of heaven. And here's the second thing that, as I was reflecting on this, that Jesus said very little about what would happen in the end of days. Very little. In fact, if you go through the Gospels, now he talks a lot about him coming back. And he talks a lot about his imminent return. And an awful lot of the parables have Jesus talking about his imminent return, him coming back. And you don't know, you know, when he will come back and all of these kinds of things. So an awful lot about his return. 
but not a lot about what's going to happen in the last days. In fact, Jesus wouldn't have said anything about what would happen in the end of days if a few days before his crucifixion, his disciples didn't ask him this question about the temple. But they did, and so we have it in Scripture, and we have Jesus talking about things that will happen before the end of our days on earth, before the days of earth. Because a lot of us are going to experience the end of our days on earth before the earth experiences its end, right? Always been that way, <clears throat> always will be. More people will die than will be living when Jesus returns. So when he starts to tell them about the things that will happen in the end, he also is giving them a lot of instruction about how they should be living in light of his return. Seeing that Jesus can come at any moment, he's talking about his imminent return and keeps talking about the rapture and the second coming and trying to separate those and see where they go. But Jesus talked an awful lot about his return and he's telling them an awful lot now about how should we be living between now and his return? How should we be living? And so um, when they come to him and they ask him this, uh, tell us when will these things happen? What will be the sign that they're about to be fulfilled? Jesus, in typical Jesus fashion, answers their question, and then answers a whole lot more than they asked. And they did point, he, he did point out, again, their national identity. Jesus is going to teach them right here, until Jesus returns, we need to conduct ourselves as citizens of heaven. Citizens of heaven. Now, these disciples, who they were so freaked out that this idea of the temple coming down and the symbols of their national identity being smashed, you know what happened um, 40 years later is their worst fears were fulfilled. The very thing that they were fearful of, the end of their nation, the end of their national identity, them being scattered all over the place and being sent out of the land, the very thing they feared, the demise of their national identity, the demise of their nation, it happened. And so if we're citizens of heaven and there's a king who has a kingdom, there's nothing that can separate me from my king. No matter what happens on earth, I can't be separated from my king. The Apostle Paul says that in Romans, neither life nor death nor things present nor things to come, not angels, not demons, not sickness, not anything, nothing can separate me from my king. And then, because I was getting so much mileage out of this, I was thinking it's very possible. No, I'm not saying it is. So don't go quoting me and saying, you know, that's what he said. But I am saying it's possible. It's possible that we have a front row seat to the demise of an empire. You know, empires come and empires go. Kingdoms come and kingdoms go. And Rome clung on forever. They just clung and clung and clung on you know, to, to their empire, trying to hold on to it as hard as they could. But there are nations throughout history, including nations in the Bible, that their demise happened in a day. Babylon fell in a day. Is it possible that a nation, that a kingdom, that an empire could crumble in a day? Well, so then what empire am I talking about? I don't know, maybe, uh, maybe I'm talking about the Russian Empire. Is it conceivable the Russian Empire could just go away? It is conceivable. Whoever would have thought Russia would be in the place that it's in right now? Is it conceivable 
that the American empire could go away? Sure, it's conceivable. And what would be left? Then it'd be no great kingdoms, right? Oh, not so fast. There's, there's some rising kingdoms on the planet right now. What are they? China? India? You know, every two people on planet Earth live in either India or China. One out of every seven people lives in India. One out of every seven people lives in China. And India's economy is beginning to explode. Then there's a whole continent. There's a whole continent, the continent of Africa, that's coming alive, the sleeping giant. And so just thinking about all of these things, like could things change in a day? Yes. Could things change in a day? And so watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name. Keith covered that good. And then he says, um, when you hear of wars and rumors of wars. So if we're citizens of heaven and we're serving our king and that nations can demise in a moment, they have. The only eternal kingdom is the kingdom of God. It's the only one that will reign forever and ever and ever Russia won't, Rome won't, Babylon won't, Persia won't. The only one that will live forever and ever and ever is the kingdom of God. And it's there that we have our citizenship. In whatever kingdom we're part of on the planet, our allegiance is to heaven. Our allegiance is to heaven. So how do you live as a citizen of heaven, and Jesus is t telling them all the way to the end, but he's also giving them some clues on how you need to live until we get there. He said, when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, out of your Bible, what does it say? Don't be what? Well, that's um, deceived is the watch out. No one deceives you. But when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, don't be what? Alarmed. Don't be alarmed. That word is kind of an interesting word. It can go as far as um, to wail. To just be freaking out. So when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, don't freak out. But it also can mean be anxious. So when you hear of wars and when you hear of rumors of wars, don't be frightened. Don't be anxious. Because we are the people of peace. And the Hebrew word for peace, what's the Hebrew word for peace? Shalom. But shalom doesn't mean like peace sign, peace, peace. Shalom doesn't mean the absence of conflict. Shalom means that you have peace in the middle of conflict. When there's conflict all around you, you have peace. And so as we're moving towards the end of days, and we're moving towards the end of days, every second, every minute, every hour, every day, every month, every year, we're moving closer and closer to the end, to the close of the planet. C.S. Lewis said, when the author comes on the stage, the play is over, right? Anybody go to shows? And what happens at the end of the show? They all come out and they all you know, say thank you. And so when the author comes on the stage, the play's over. You can just go home from here. And that day is coming. But between that day and this day, there's going to be wars. In fact, through, the, through recorded history, now all we have is recorded history, but recorded history tells us that 
since we've been recording history, 90% of the time the world has been at war. Somebody's been at war with somebody. Always wars. And I'm a human. Anybody else here human? Any humans? So I'm a human. <clears throat> I get around a little bit. Anybody else here, you get around a little bit? And so right now, what do you hear people talking about? They're talking about war. They're talking about uh, baby formula. They're talking about uh, beef prices and chicken prices and gas prices, which are all the highest that they've ever been. They've never been higher than that. And there's a war going on. And in a moment, the next one we're going to look at is famines. President Zelensky in the Ukraine. Do you know you get a lot of your wheat from the Ukraine? Did you know that? Most people didn't know that. I didn't know it. And uh, he told us if those ports aren't clear in 10 weeks, there could be worldwide famine. Now, is that possible? Be worldwide famine? Whoever, who could think in the 21st century to be worldwide famine? Well, I guess a lot of us have stopped eating wheat anyway, so good for us. So, you know, everybody that's on, you know, that, that diet, you know, you don't need it anyway. You don't, you don't need wheat. Okay, um, you know, India has done the same thing. India's a big exporter. They stopped, they stopped all their exports because of inflation and because they wanted to make sure there was enough for them. And then, this is awful, they have put an end to their sugar exports. What are we going to do without our sugar <laughs> you know, it's possible. It's possible that anything could change in a moment. We're so, you know, we're secure. We think things will go this way. Well, Jesus said, when you hear of wars, don't be alarmed. Don't be an alarmist. Be a person of peace. So in these trying and difficult and strange and unusual days that we have, we are citizens of an eternal kingdom our highest allegiance and our first allegiance is to the kingdom of God. Our, our empire can come, our, our empire can go. Other empires can come and other empires can go. It doesn't change anything for us. So when you hear of these things, don't be alarmed. Don't be a freak out. And so in these times, it's true that, that part of our Christian witness is that we're not freaking out. We're not freaking out at all. I love this story. I've told it before of D.L. Moody, who in the day, you know, he was living in the 18th century. And he traveled the Atlantic Ocean, came to the States and went back to England a few times. And they say there was a big, he was coming on a ship, a passenger ship. And there was a huge storm. And people were afraid. They were freaking out. And they were down in the main dining hall praying up. And somebody said, Mr. Moody is here. Go get Mr. Moody. He's a man of God. Famous evangelist. Man of God. Go get him. And they said they found him and he was leaning over the rail watching the storm. And they said, Mr. Moody, we're having a prayer meeting downstairs. We need you to come. And you know what he said? He said, I'm all prayed up. I'm all prayed up. I don't, I don't need to freak out, but I can come down and pray with you, maybe lead some of you to Christ, but I don't need to freak out. So we're the non-freak-out people. We're the shalom people. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, don't be alarmed. 
Such things must happen. They will happen. 90% of recorded history, there are wars. Now, I don't know, but I'm just imagining that maybe uh, there might be some wars that weren't recorded. So maybe it's more than 90% of recorded history. It says nation will rise against nation. And there'll be earthquakes. There'll be earthquakes in various places and famines. So earthquakes. You know, the largest earthquake ever recorded was recorded in 1964 in Alaska. And they say that earthquake was so big that it shook the space needle. In fact, they said most states in the continental United States could feel the shaking of that 1964 earthquake. But there were two states that didn't feel it. You know what one of them was? Connecticut. <laughs> we didn't get the shaking. <laughs> whole lot of shaking going on, but not us. There will be earthquakes. There will be earthquakes. And so if you're in an earthquake, anybody ever been in an earthquake? I have been. I see a couple of other people been in an earthquake. I was in an earthquake in, in uh, Managua, um, Nicaragua. It was actually, uh, I was there when uh, the aftershock came through. And I thought I was losing my mind because I guess a lot of aftershocks had come through. And I was with this family. Uh, we were eating dinner, the family of the pastor that was hosting us down there. And as we're eating, like the, the china in the hutch was rattling and the lamp was swinging back and forth. And they were just eating. And I thought, I must be losing my mind. Like, like this room is moving. You know, if you know something about my story and my testimony, I thought, I must be having like an LSD flashback or something because, like, this room is moving. <laughs> and they're, they're not alarmed. Well, they weren't alarmed because it was just one of many aftershocks and they were used to it. But they weren't alarmed. They weren't alarmed. Now, the interesting thing about that family, Bob and Myra Trolise. Bob and Myra Trolise were, they were young people in the 1970s. And they were part of this Christian movement. There was a revival. I don't know if you know about this or not, but, but in, the, in the 1970s, there was pr probably America's last great revival. And it was two-pronged. One was called the Jesus Movement, and that's where young people were coming to Christ en masse, mostly on the West Coast, but uh, throughout the United States, hundreds of thousands of young people were coming to Christ. At the same time, there was another movement called the Catholic Charismatic Renewal, where Catholic people who knew about God the Father and knew about God the Son didn't know about God the Spirit. And when somebody started teaching in some of those Catholic circles about the Holy Spirit, they started getting spiritized. And they, they were operating in the gifts of the Spirit, and they were now operating in the presence of God and and, and having understanding his presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in their life. And that thing spread like wildfire. <clears throat> Hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of people in mainline churches, Catholic churches, liturgical churches, came to Christ. They called it renewed because they considered themselves to already be Christians, but now they were being renewed by the Spirit. And an awful lot of them, the fact of the matter is they were just being born again. It was really their first encounter with God. And so that revival spread. So Bob Trolise, he was in his 20s, living up in Oregon, part of the Jesus movement. And there were all of these young people in this newly established church. What happened in that revival 
was that it went from there being no churches to churches of being hundreds of people almost overnight. That's the whole story of Calvary Chapel. It's just a, it's an extension of that revival that happened. Um, Chuck Smith, who you know, sort of the, the leader of that movement, he was pastoring a little church of 25 people. And within four years, he had 25,000 people coming to his church. And they weren't coming from other churches. They were getting saved, coming to Christ. And so Bob, in, in the spirit moving powerfully, words of knowledge and people seeing things and, and having dreams and visions and the Lord just moving powerfully in the revival. And so Dick Fennell, Bob Trollis, Myra Trollis, they were up in Oregon in this little group. And in this little group, they don't know anything about the Lord. You know, they had a guy who was leading them. But for the most part, they're all babes in Christ. And, you know, they pray a lot and they sing a lot. And, and there was a, a young person who said he had a vision. They were in a meeting, kind of a prayer meeting, a worship meeting. And he said, I had a vision of people trying to crawl out of rubble. And um, somebody said, oh, that's our lives that our lives without Christ, it's like we're in rubble and we're trying to crawl out and there's people that are helping us crawl out of the rubble. And somebody said, I don't think that's what that is, but maybe, maybe that's what that vision is all about. And then somebody said this. Now, these are all young people who had come to Christ, no church background. And one of them said, I think that's about the earthquake that just happened in Guatemala. Because it was people trying to get out of the rubble and then people helping them out of the rubble. And he said, I think it's about Guatemala. And I think that we should go to Guatemala and pull those people out of the rubble and help rebuild their houses. And so those guys, these young people, they forsook everything. They got in their cars, they got in their vans, they got in their trucks, and about 20 of them went to Guatemala. Guatemala earthquake, 1976, 23,000 deaths. All of this is Jesus is telling us there will be earthquakes before the end. How are you supposed to act? Well, with wars, you're not supposed to be the freak out people. You're not supposed to be the anxious people. You're the shalom people. How are you supposed to act in earthquakes? Maybe you're supposed to respond. You know, Christians always respond. Christians always respond to disasters. <clears throat> and In fact, um, if, if you're part of disaster relief, Christians are always the first ones there. Always the first ones there. They're always responding when there's disaster. They're always responding when there's trouble. Anderson Cooper. Anybody ever hear of that guy? Anderson Cooper. Um, CNN. Anderson Cooper, they, they sent him out whenever something's happening. He's pretty good at it. He's, he's pretty talented with being on the scene and talking to people and seeing what's going on. And more than one time, I bumped, I bumped into Anderson Cooper three times in disasters. And uh, he has said on CNN several times, you know, it's all Christians out here. It's all evangelical Christians. Now, this guy's not an evangelical Christian by any means. But he recognizes that whenever there's a disaster, the Christians just flood in. They just flood in. And so these guys, during their earthquake, what do you do? You respond. Jesus is talking about the events before the end. There will be earthquakes. What should we do? We should respond. We should help when we can help. This is a time when people are in need. It's a time when people will look for God. It's a time when they'll receive what you have to say. And people say, well, you shouldn't go down and you're talking about God. You know, like they need water. They need help. They need, they, they, they need to find their family. You'd be amazed 
at how many people will receive prayer in those situations. I've been doing it since 1989, disaster relief, and I only had one person ever tell me that he didn't want to pray. Just one person ever. And then he was just a miserable human being anyway, just wanted to argue about stuff. So these guys go down to Guatemala, right? Kids. Young people. Some of them in their teens, some of them in their 20s. And they start digging people out and they start rebuilding houses. Start rebuilding houses for people. Well, when they started rebuilding houses, and because they were believers, they started a church. And they called that church Verbo. So uh, they're down there in Guatemala. What does Verbo mean? Word. The Word. It was the Word. They started the church, the Word. And that church began to grow. The church began to grow a lot. And that church grew so much that a guy got converted in that church who became the president of Guatemala. Absolutely unbelievable. Bob Trollis, he told me, he said it was crazy. He, and, and he became president by a coup. By a coup. They came, the military came and took him and installed him as president. And Bob said, it was so strange. We were in church one day and the military came to the church and grabbed him and brought him and made him the president. And he said, next thing we knew, we were like in the halls of, of advising the president. Well, what were they doing? They were just listening to the Lord and in the midst of earthquakes, in the midst of craziness, in the midst of all kinds of things falling apart in the world, what do you do? You respond. You respond. In the midst of wars and rumors of wars, what do you do? You respond. You don't freak out. You don't get alarmed. In the midst of famines, what do you do? You don't freak out. God will take care of us. David said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. Now, that doesn't mean that you're not going to have bread in 10 weeks of, if President Zelensky is right. Maybe you won't. But you'll have something. God will watch out for us. He'll definitely watch out for us. He'll watch out for you. It's what God does. There will be famines. And so some of these things that Jesus is talking about are age-long. In other words, they happen in every age. When do wars happen? Do they happen in every age or is it age-specific that wars only happen when it's the end? So is it age-long, they happen all the time, or is it age-specific? So wars, age-long or age-specific? Which one is it? Age-long, they always happen. They're always going to be happening. Famines, um, when, do, when do famines come? Are, is that age-long or is that age-specific? It's age-long, they always happen. You know, China, China has seen some awful, awful famines. And do you know that in the, um, in the previous century that Joseph Stalin created a man-made famine in Russia that killed millions of people? Some of you might remember this. Some of you are old enough to re You don't have to be real old to remember this one, that in the 1990s, there was a famine in North Korea that killed 3 million people. 1990s. 3 million people. How can you in the modern world have a famine that will kill 3 million people. Some of you know this because it's, it's your heritage that the Irish potato famine killed up to a third of the entire population. Famines come. Famines exist. Famines come. Famines go. You know, and, and then there's also the plagues, the bubonic plague. There were three of those. Killed hundreds of millions of people. You know what Christians have always done during the plagues? They've run into the plagues. They've run into the plagues. And in fact, some of these plagues that happened in, in the Middle Ages in Europe, the church lost an awful lot of their workers. 
How did they lose their workers? Because they were contaminated by the plague? No, because they ran into the plague. They ran into it to help people and to serve people and to bring people to the Lord and to serve them however else they could, wiping their wounds, moving them from place to place. Because what do Christians do in the light of war? We don't worry. We're not anxious. We're the shalom people. What, what do we do when earthquakes happen? We, we respond. What do we do when famines come? We, we have faith. What do we do with plagues? We run into the plagues. We run into them. And there's been plagues forever and ever. Then he goes on, and he says, Nation will rise against nation. There'll be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. But you must be on your guard. Why? Because you will be handed over to local councils, and you'll be flogged in the synagogues. And on account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as a witness to them. You'll stand before kings. You'll stand before governors to share your testimony. And how will you get before these kings and governors? You know how an awful lot of people got before the kings and the governors? Because they were persecuted by them. When the apostle Paul came to Christ and they laid hands on him, the Lord told Ananias, he said, this man will be my witness to the Jews and to the Gentiles and that he is going, he's going to have a testimony to kings. And he said, I'll, sh- I'll show him how many things he must suffer. So the Apostle Paul's very calling was that he would suffer. That he would suffer. And that he would preach to kings. Well, which one is it? Am I going to preach to kings or am I going to suffer? You're going to preach to kings when you suffer. Because of the persecution, the Apostle Paul, when they arrested him, and they couldn't figure out why they arrested him. Because the religious authorities got everybody worked up. Rome wanted peace. Rome didn't like the riots. Rome didn't like these guys working everybody up. They arrested Paul. Paul, because he was a a Roman citizen, he appeals to Caesar. I appeal to Caesar. Well, if you were the ruler that he appealed to Caesar with, you're in trouble. Because Caesar doesn't want to be bothered with nonsense. And so the Apostle Paul is appealing to Caesar, and you're the governor that's sending him. What charges are you sending him to Caesar with? And they couldn't figure it out. And none of them wanted to send Paul to Caesar because it's going to make them look stupid. And so they bounced him around. They bounced him around to everybody. They bounced him around to all the rulers in the region. And, and he goes between, before King Agrippa. He goes before everybody. And before he goes in front of each one, he shares his testimony. In fact, one time he's in chains and he says, I wish that you were exactly like me except for these chains that you've got me chained into. And so there'd be persecution. And it was because of the persecution that they got to share the gospel Everywhere. And on account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. Now, how profound is that? And how prophetic is that? It's exact. The reason you'll be before the governors, the reason you'll be before the kings, is on account of me. On account of me. And the gospel must be preached to all nations. Wow. That, that word, 
nations, we make a big deal out of it here. It's the Greek word ethnos. It doesn't mean national boundaries. Because this country that we're living in, I assume most of us live here, if not you're visiting here, but, but the one that we are resident in right now has, has political boundaries. But, but within the, the confines of those boundaries, there's people from everywhere, right? In this country... Yeah, people from everywhere. The, the only place they say that has more people from everywhere is Toronto, Canada. When you go to Toronto, everybody's there, and there's neighborhoods of, of ethnic groups from all over the world. And there's so many of them in Toronto that, um, you know, there's restaurants and grocery stores. And, and so it will be to all peoples. That word is peoples, tribes, groups of people. Because within political borders, there's lots of different tribes of people. And within these political borders, there's lots of different tribes of people. And our obligation to the gospel is to bring it to everyone. Do you know that in this modern world, this technological world, that there are still people on the planet that are Bibleless, That they don't have the Bible in their language? There's still people like that. And there's people, missionaries, maybe you want to be one. We'll send out some stuff this week that we'll talk about persecution. Sign up for our newsletter that comes out every Monday or Tuesday. And we're going to include references to people that are persecuted, references to how you can go and bring Bibles to Bibleless people. The gospel must be preached to all these people. And then whenever you're arrested, it's not if you're arrested, but whenever. So we're living in a time us living in the time space that we are living in right now, this is an enigma that we've pretty much been living on these territories for several hundred years and we're not arrested because of our faith. It's unusual. All over the planet, people have always been arrested because of their faith. We've just been invited um, you know, we've been supporting some uh, Cuban missionaries for some time. And we've just been invited by eight churches, eight Cuban churches, <coughs> to get involved and to come and teach them, train them. Teach them in the Word of God. You know, in Cuba, you can't, you, you can't have a church building. It's illegal to have a church building. In some places, they let you meet in homes. And they won't bother you, but not in all places. Not in all places. And so whenever you're arrested, <coughs> excuse me, this is killing me. Anybody else getting killed this week? Yeah. Whenever they arrest you and you're brought to trial, don't worry beforehand what you're supposed to say. Just say whatever is given to you at the time, for it's not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Now, some people who speak and teach the Bible, they think that that means, you know, you shouldn't prepare anything. You should just get up and start saying what you want to say. Well, that's not what that's saying at all. It's saying that, that when they arrest you and when they put you in front of everybody, the Spirit's going to give you what to say. Has that ever happened in the Bible? It sure did. Anybody know where it happened? Acts chapter 7. Stephen. 
what happens is after the day of Pentecost, the religious leaders are still giving the disciples grief. You know, Rome is giving them a little bit of grief. Chapter 7, Stephen, the deacon, the guy who served the tables, the guy that set up the picnic tables here, who also, he set up picnic tables, but he also worked signs and wonders and miracles. Isn't that amazing? Maybe when we um, choose deacons in the future, we should ask them if they've ever done a miracle. <laughs> because that deacon did. And they arrested him and they said he was saying all kinds of things against the holy place. And if you read Acts chapter 7, the Holy Spirit gives Stephen the most amazing response, an amazing answer to that, that he never could have come up by himself if it wasn't the Spirit that was giving it to him. And if you're arrested and you have to go before governors and rulers, the Holy Spirit will give you things to say. You know, if you're at work at the water cooler and you don't know what to say to somebody, just ask the Lord, Lord, what should I say to this person? And the Holy Spirit will give you things, that you, things to say. So when you're arrested, not if you are, but when you are, don't worry about what you'll say. Because whatever is given you at that time, it's not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Now, brother will betray brother to death. And a father his child. And children will rebel against their parents and, have, and put them to death. Now, um, we do have on the way out some refrigerator magnets for everybody to remember this, um, this, this weekend. Uh, and it has verse 13 on it. It says, everyone will hate you because of me. So make sure you pick up your refrigerator magnet. <laughs> it says, everyone will hate you because of me. Well, where does this happen, brother? Brother betraying brother and a father betraying his child. Children rebelling against their parents. There's two groups of people that for several thousand years, wherever they go, they get persecuted. And you know who they are? They're the Christians and they're the Jews. So is this age long or is this age specific? This is age long. Christians will always be persecuted. Always. The fact that we're not persecuted, I'm telling you, it's an enigma. It doesn't make sense. We've had freedom. We haven't been persecuted. Christians all over the planet have always been persecuted. But what about the Jews? They've been persecuted. Why? Because both of those groups fit into God's plan. We don't have the time to get into it completely right now. But God has a future plan for Israel. Why? Because Abraham is the father of the Israelis. He's the father of the Israel nation. He's the father of the Jewish people. God made promises to Abraham, and God don't make promises he don't keep. Right? God makes a promise, he keeps it. And he promised Abraham that he would make his name great, that he would be a blessing to all of the people on the planet, that his uh, lineage would be like the stars in the sky or the sand in the sea, so many that you couldn't uh, count them. And he also gave him a land, promised it to him. And then there are other promises that God made to Israel. 
God still has a plan for Israel. No, not not all Jewish people, not all Israel people, not all Hebrew people have come to Christ. But God still has a plan for them. And there is a time that there's going to be a massive revival among Jewish people, according to the Scripture. And it will come after some of these events, after some of these age-specific events. It will come to them. But they've always been persecuted. Why? Because the devil wants to destroy the plan and the work of God. Christians have always been persecuted. Why? Because the devil wants to destroy the plan and the purpose of God. There's another reason that the devil don't like Christians. So if you're a Christian, you know why he doesn't like you? It doesn't tell us a lot about him. But it tells us that he was a glorious creature, worship leader in heaven. He rebelled against God. He wanted God's throne. He wanted to be exalted to God's throne. Well, what it tells us in Revelation is that he was cast down from heaven to the earth. And when he was cast down to the earth and he's been bothering people ever since, he watched, he watched when God created human beings. You know, and it says that, you know, God, God creates some humans out of mud. You know, you're made out of the same elements as the mud right there. So, you know, God just takes a little bit of mud and blows it up the way that you might blow up bubble gum, blows you into something, and there you are. And some of us are still being blown up. <laughs> it's getting bigger and bigger. Uh, so we're mud pies, really. Satan watches these mud pies be the woman that he creates is God's crowning achievement in creation. The woman. The woman is God's crowning achievement. He says, this is very good. This is very good. It says in Corinthians that you will judge angels. So in this world to come, we're going to be judging angels. If Satan is a fallen angel, you're going to be judging Satan. How do you think he feels about that right now? How do you think he feels about you? You think he wants you judging him? Not at all. He's after you. He's after you. He's after God's plan. He wants to thwart God's plan. He wants to ruin God's plan. And so we live in a, on a planet of what we, you know, we call it anti-Semitism. Well, it's persecution. It's persecution of, of the Jewish people. You know, we live on a planet that persecutes Christians wherever they go. Now, that's not to say that other people haven't been persecuted at times and in pockets. But it's been consistent through the millennia. Persecute the Jews. Persecute the Christians. God's plan. Everyone will hate you because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Now, I don't think that's saying that the only way you're going to keep your salvation is, you know, you just stand firm. I think he's just saying stay steady. Stay steady until the end. We're the shalom people. We're the people of peace. We're the people who, in the midst of the storm, we're not anxious we're the people who, in the midst of the storm, we're not wailing. We're the people who, in the midst of the storm, aren't complaining about everything that's going on. We have good news. We're not bearers of bad news. But we always default to the bad news. You know, we're not, we, we, we're not being what we're supposed to be when we're default. Hey, did you hear about, you hear about, oh, you know who, hey, oh, yeah, they, oh. man, where's the good news in that? Where's the good news in that? The good news for me is I'm alive, I'm well. 
I'm breathing. My money's going out the window. I have a regular car. And I paid almost $100 for gas. So what am I going to do? Just complain about that? Whine about that? You know, yell about that? What am I going to do? You know, I'm just going to be cheerful. I'm going to be cheerful to the people that I see at the gas pump. I'm going to be cheerful to people around. Whatever. I can't change it. But what I can do is I, I don't need to be alarmed. I don't need to wail. I don't need to be freaked out. I don't need to... I, I, you ever notice when you're freaked out, you can get everybody freaked out with you? What are you doing this afternoon? I think I'm just going to freak out. You know, you want to come over to my house and freak out with me? Yeah, yeah, let's just freak out. Let's just go nuts together. How about standing firm to the end? Why don't we just do that? Why don't we just stay, stay firm to the end? Oh, you think the world is ending? I know the world is ending. Guaranteed. You think the empire is demising? You want my opinion? Yeah, I think it is. I think it is. I don't, I don't, I don't think an empire can, can survive this divided. That's just my opinion. I'm not a political analyst, but I don't, th I, don't think, I don't think an empire this divided can stand. But maybe it will. Maybe it won't. Think, think, think Russia will turn into nothing? I don't know. Maybe. But, but I'm going to stay firm to the end. I'm not going to freak out about wars. I'm not going to worry when disaster happens. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run into the disaster. I'm going to run into it rather than away from it. And we have a, you know, we have a history. You, know, you might not even know this about you, you know, as a, as, a, as a church. But, you know, we've run into disaster after disaster after disaster. You know, we've been, we've been doing it since, since we knew those people in Nicaragua. You know, we used to go down there, you know, f after the hurricanes, Hurricane Mitch, you know, go down there and rebuild houses. You know, we went to 9-11. Went to I witnessed to Benjamin Netanyahu, the Prime Minister of Israel, when we were when we were down at 9/11 responding. And we just went down, and we're just regular people, and there we are. And I'm standing here with my friend Mike Fenicia when we had access into 9/11 into the into the um, what did that, into the pile. You know that was a crime. That was a crime area. It was cut off. We had access into there, and my friend Mike Fenicia said, "Is that Benjamin Netanyahu?" I said, that is, and that's his wife. I'm going to go talk to him. He said, do you think you can? I said, watch. So, you know, like I, I went and shared Christ with him. And, and you guys did so much there. It's amazing the things that you guys did. You guys helped set up the first respite center for fire, police, and iron workers. The first one. First one that was there. Just giving them water, giving them food, giving them comfort, giving them a seat. You know, you built... You rebuilt 84 houses in Katrina, 14 from the bottom up. One of them was the father of Reuben Stutter before Reuben Stutter was Reuben Stutter. And uh, we did his house and then left him, a, left him a car, left him a vehicle there. You guys have responded to so many things over and over and over. But something's happening. Something's happening even with that. Because we responded to Newtown. And I'm a Billy Graham chaplain and a disaster chaplain. And in Newtown, you know what the governor said? The governor said, we don't really need the chaplains. We don't really need the chaplains. What we're going to do is we're going to take a state police officer and assign them to each one of these families. And I thought, you know, you know, the state police, like, they're, they're the elite cops. And they're state police that, that come here. They're the elite of the police. They're the elite cops. 
They, they don't know how to bring comfort and hope to, to families. They wouldn't let us in. Wouldn't let us in in Newtown. We got in anyway. But you, know, you just had to work your way around it. But, but what are we going to do? What are we going to do with wars? What are we going to do with earthquakes? What are we going to do with disasters? What are we going to do with plagues? What do we go... Plagues. I think the plagues are never ending. I think they're never going to end. I don't know. That's what my doctor tells me. I'm just telling you what my doctor told me. You know, my doctor told me, get used to it. It's never going away. All right. You know, listen to you. You're my doctor. I don't know. How do I know? What am I going to do if it never goes away? I'm just going to share Jesus. I'm just going to be joyful. I'm just going to try to serve Jesus and, and let people know that Jesus is alive. Now, here's, here's an age-specific one, and we'll end with this. When you see the abomination that causes desolation, verse 14, standing where it does not belong. Hmm. The abomination that causes desolation. Age-long or age-specific? Age-specific. Age-specific. Standing where it doesn't belong, let the reader understand. Let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down or enter the house to take anything. But when will this be? Verse 18, verse 19. Pray that this will not take place in winter because those days of distress will be unequaled from the beginning when God created the world until now and never to be equaled again. And so that's talking about a day that's coming on the planet. Is that the great tribulation? Could be. Could be a world that unwinds before that. Could be a world that unwraps before that. Could be a world that experiences the, the exchange of nuclear weapons. Do you believe Putin was talking about using nuclear weapons? But strategically. How do you use a nuclear weapon strategically? They don't. They don't discriminate. They just go after everybody. So there will be a time of great distress unequaled from the beginning when God created the world until now and never, never again. How bad will it be? There's been some bad things that happened. The destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, 70 AD, that was bad. Probably wasn't as bad as the Holocaust. One of the most horrifying of human genocides. It's not as bad if you read on. It's not as bad as stars falling from the sky and the earth reeling on her foundations. Imagine the earth reeling. It's going to be water everywhere the earth starts reeling. It's going to be a disaster. Earthquake 1964 in Australia, man, shakes the United States, but not Connecticut. <clears throat> Antichrist declares himself to be God. There is a day coming, and all of this points to something that happens at the end. You know, everything just, everything at the end goes back to sort of the way it was in the beginning. You know, in the beginning in Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel, everybody was all together with one voice rebelling against God. Together they decided to rebel against God. Well, um, you know, the Bible points to a time and a day when all of the world again will be one and not the kind of one where we are the world one and let's help everybody and where we'll be one, where there will be one world government, one world leader, one world economy, 
And then even the pressuring on people to have one world religion to worship one God, a man who declares himself to be ruler over everything. So it's all moving towards that. So what should we do? Freak out? I don't want to freak out. I want to enjoy myself this afternoon. I want to go see people that I know and people that I love and talk with them and pray with them and, and distribute hope. Pray for healing. Pray for salvation. What are we supposed to be like? What are we supposed to be like? Let's stand and pray. See if you can find this song. It's on the website. See if I can get there. This is the last song. If you go to songs, click here for... Um, Go to the end. There's a song called Just As I Am. Jesus is calling and is calling us home. He's calling us to himself. The kingdom of God, the presence of God. When we gather together, what do we gather together for? To to do another day, to go to church, to check it off, to, you know, do our duty, to do our habit. Yep, you know, we do a lot of that. No doubt about it. But, you know, Jesus said, wherever two or more are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst. Jesus is here. You put a placket out there that said, uh, Jesus is here. Anything can happen. Anything can happen. I know there's people here that are distressed to the place of despair. Just feel like totally giving up. Giving up on your family. Giving up on your job. Giving up on hope. Giving up on any future options. Jesus is here. Anything could happen. He can come and meet you in the midst of your anxiety. Completely turn you around. Some of us are here who the reports from the doctor haven't been that all that good. And you really don't like going to look at my chart because the stuff on there is just not good. And it scares you. Jesus can heal you. And so right now, you know, if you have something crawling around in your system, crawling around in your blood, if you have stuff that's overgrowing, it's not supposed to be growing, and stuff that's not working the way it's supposed to be working, then Lord Jesus, come and heal us. Come by your Holy Spirit, come and bring just general health over this congregation. <clears throat> and Lord, some of us reach out right now for healing, physical healing. Heal us. Lord, we're not the people of anxiety. We're not the people of freaking out. We're not the people of running away. We're running into. 
And it might be that there's some of us here that you know you you don't really um, seem to know how or have the opportunities to share Jesus with people or to invite people to church or to and you don't know you don't know what's wrong you know I don't know I don't know I just doesn't it's just kind of not me. Well, Jesus said when the baptism of the Holy Spirit comes on you in Acts one eight, there's at least three experiences with the Holy Spirit. At least three. And Jesus said the Holy Spirit is with you. And that might be you right now, that the Spirit is drawing you to to come to know Jesus as Savior this morning. We're going to pray that prayer in a moment. The Spirit's leading you to receive Jesus as Savior and Lord this morning. The Spirit's with you, drawing you to Jesus, but not making you do anything. He gives you free choice. He gives you free will. He's with you. Jesus said the Spirit will be in you. The resurrected Jesus meets his disciples and he's cooking for them. I love that Jesus is cooking for them. Whose job is it in the house to cook? Now Jesus cooked. Esau cooked. He's cooking for his disciples. And he breathes on them and said, Receive the Spirit. I guarantee you, if Jesus said, Receive the Spirit, you receive the Spirit. The Spirit's in you. It's a down payment, it's a deposit. He'll come and get you and he'll raise your lowly body on that final day. Spirit's in you. You've been born again. You've been born of the Spirit. You were born of the flesh, but now you're born of the Spirit. But Jesus said power will come upon you. Power will come when the Spirit comes upon you. So it's with, in, upon some of us have just never had an upon experience where his spirit just comes over us and empowers us, empowers us to live holy lives, empowers us to be his witnesses, empowers us to use the gifts of the Holy Spirit that are poured out so freely. And so for some of us right now, Lord, we reach out that you would empower us, that you would give us the Holy Spirit with power that you'd come all over us and that our lives would be different. Our witness would be different. Our confidence would be different. The gifts that we use in our life would be different. So there's those who don't know the Lord, those who are sick, those who are anxious. I don't know, is it still mental health month? Man, we need some sanity. We need some help. Help us, Jesus. Help us think right. Help us think clear. Help us be realistic. So if you don't know Jesus, pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I'm here right now. I'm here right now. And it doesn't make any sense to just keep putting it off, putting it off, keep kicking the can down the road like you've been after me. It's obvious you've been after me. You've been with me, and you're not making me. 
but I'm coming. Let's try this song. Let's see if we can do it. We're not, we're not real good at hymns, but we're going to try this. You got it? Everyone there? Find that just as I am? Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou biddest me come to thee, O Lamb of God. of that anxiety you need it to be gone you need the craziness like out of your life out of your home out of your mind you know it's just running your body ragged you're thinking too fast you know for those you know let's uh, let's lift our hand and let Jesus see it and, and, and for those of us who have stuff crawling around our bodies and aches and pains and and, and, you know, some of those things that just intuitively, you know it's not right. Something's going on in your body. It's not right. You know it. You know, let's just reach out and ask Jesus to just touch it, just heal it right now. You know, those of us who just feel powerless to share the gospel, are just powerless to, 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 to be able to do anything in his name, anything for him. You know, let's just lift, lift a hand and, and Holy Spirit, come and fill us and renew us. And then those of us who are coming to Jesus, coming to Jesus, just lift up your hand to him. He sees it. He knows. That was one long service. So uh, there we are. So, But we're right in time for lunch. And so, Lord, I thanks that you give us food. Thanks that you give us friends. Thanks that you give us people. You know, if you're here and you don't know anybody, you know, uh, introduce yourself to someone. If uh, you're shy to do that, introduce you. Introduce yourself to me. I'd love to meet you. There's other people at the welcome table. Please go meet them. If you gave your life to Christ, go there. 
You know, if you want to connect, please go there and see them or see any one of us. Um, You are loved. You are loved. You are loved. Peace, peace, peace. Grace and mercy. Grace and mercy. Peace. And there's lots of food for you. So bless you, bless you, bless you. You are loved. Peace.